Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, welcome back to another episode of Blush. My name is Heva, and I apologize if I sound a little nasally today. I had to get some dental work done, and I always get nitrous when I get dental work because I have severe dental phobia. And this dentist, their nitrous, the way they do it, they stick something up your right nostril. I've never seen this before. It was a very weird experience and all of the cold air blowing in, it really, I don't know, fucked with my sinuses. I'm honestly not sure what happened, but all I know is I blow my nose constantly now. So yeah, sorry if this is unpleasant to listen to. I'm also not so congested that it sounds kind of sexy, you know, like Phoebe and Friends when she gets sick and she has that sexy voice, and then she gets better, and then she tries to get sick again and get the sexy voice back. Yeah, it's not so much like that either. So it's just, I don't know, maybe you guys can't even hear it. Who knows? Anyway, I hope everyone had a really good week. If you celebrate Thanksgiving, I hope that went well. I hope you had an emotionally and mentally healthy Thanksgiving. Maybe you got a chance to practice some boundary setting. I don't know. Um, I had a great Thanksgiving. I had a really interesting week. So I went to a party, which I never really do. And, you know, I think you get to a certain age where everything, it feels like you've experienced everything. Like nothing is going to shock or awe you anymore. Everything is just kind of a repetition of shit that's already happened. You know, do you know what I mean? Like you never really go somewhere and have a conversation that's completely unique and new. You've kind of seen variations of the same thing over and over and over again. But once in a while, once in a while, you meet someone, they say something, they do something, and you're like, oh shit, I have not heard this before, and this alone made the whole thing worth it. Like, it made the whole process of taking a shower, putting on clothes, 
leaving the fucking house, you know, taking transportation to go somewhere. It's all worth it now just for this one thing. Well, that happened to me this week. So I'm at this party. I make a new friend. Well, okay, I should backtrack. I'm at this party and we're having a conversation about sex, which already off to a good start. And we're kind of talking about how through societal programming as females, we've often grown up with this understanding that sex is for male gratification. It's for male pleasure and how a lot of our sexual history has revolved around pleasing men and less about our own pleasure. Very interesting topic, very important topic, something that I don't think is talked about enough, to be honest. And this girl, my new friend, said that during a period of celibacy, she really was trying to own her own sexuality and shift this narrative of sex being solely for the man's pleasure. So she ended up going on this journey of getting happy ending massages. Now, I have never really heard, that's not true. I have once heard of a woman getting a happy ending massage. I actually heard it on another podcast and I'll get into that. But, you know, it's something we kind of think of men getting, right? A kind of like seedy places, that's the image. But she said it was very different from that. She actually, she said she never paid for it also, which I think is fascinating. Um, She said that she found people on Reddit mainly, and they would meet beforehand. And there are just men out there who, like not creeps, I don't, I don't exactly know too much about it. I really wanted her to come on the podcast and talk about it, but she understandably did not want to share this with the entire world yet, which I completely understand and respect. But yeah, I guess there are men that do this. And she said it was very safe and secure. And the focus was completely on her pleasure. It wasn't even mutual. It was just solely focused on her, but it wasn't like dudes that she met and she was asking for happy ending massages. This is like something that they do, I guess, professionally, although they're not getting money for it. So I don't have a Reddit account. That whole world kind of scares me, so I couldn't go down that rabbit hole, but I did start doing some research on it. And I came across some articles where women were trying to get happy ending massages and they were basically going to high-end spas in Manhattan and booking massages with male masseurs and either flirting or just trying to nudge their hands closer to, you know, the Holy Grail. And some worked out, but a lot were rejected. And a lot of the time the males were like, listen, I really like my job and I don't want to lose it. I can't do this. Honestly, the idea of being rejected trying to proposition a masseur is so terrifying to me. Like, I can't even imagine. Also, I think there was a Sex in the City episode where that happens to Samantha. Anyway, so I feel like, I mean, I'm not going to speak for anyone else, 
but I feel like if I were to ever do this, I would need it clear that this is going to happen. Also, the podcast that I mentioned before, the chick on the podcast said that it was exactly that. It was a normal massage. I think it was like a hotel massage. She was uh, traveling somewhere, staying in a hotel. And do you know how you can get it through the hotel? They come up to your room. And she said she just, as he's massaging her legs, she would just kind of spread her legs and moan more as he's going up and like kind of spread them more and he would kind of go up higher until it happened again I just don't have the balls to do things like that I shouldn't say balls that's probably not very PC I don't have the gall I don't have the uh boldness to do something like that you know this reminds me quick tangent When I lived in D.C., one of my close friends would always drive over and park. And one day we were like, hey, how are you not getting parking tickets outside? And he's like, oh, I bribe the parking ticket chick. And I was like, what are you talking about? And he's like, yeah, one of the first times I drove here, she happened to be outside. I handed her some cash and I was like, yo, look out for my car. And I never get parking tickets. And I was like, wow. I mean, I just... I, again, would never have the boldness to approach someone and be like, here's a bribe, don't ticket me. Like my, like the fear of being rejected and doing that and being like potentially arrested for trying to bribe a public official so terrifies me. Same with the fear of, you know, propositioning in the store and being rejected. I can't even imagine. I mean, hats off to anyone who's able to do that. Anyway, I kept doing research. I did come across a couple of websites that advertise this. And I'm not sure what to think. I'm going to read you the descriptions on the websites. I don't, why do I keep doing this to myself, this reading out loud that I'm so terrible at? Uh, okay, sorry. Should I say the name of the spas? No, I'm not going to say it. I'm, I'm scared it's somehow going to come back to me. I don't know. Okay. Booking a happy ending massage at blank studio is ridiculously easy. Just follow the steps below and get ready to live the most luscious and uplifting experience. Our hot masseuses will greet you with a glass of your favorite drink and make you forget all inhibitions while surrendering yourself to pleasure. If you don't feel like reading, just call us on phone number. Our friendly reception team will guide you through all the steps and help you book the massage session of your dreams. I don't know. I'm a little skeptical. Like, I don't know. Okay, they also write, while a classic erotic treatment has the purpose of boosting your libido and passion, the happy ending massage aims to help you reach orgasm by using solely special bodywork procedures. That's why only an expert erotic massage therapist knows how to do it. If you're searching for a place to try out a happy ending massage in Manhattan, know that at Blank Studio, we're masters in satisfying our guests. Our beautiful masseuses know all the secrets and approaches of proper erotic massage and know precisely how to make you reach the peak. They combine gentle, sensual touches with with special massage oils and aromatherapy, creating that unique atmosphere that helps you relax, unwind, and lose all inhibitions. More than a happy ending, you'll get a professional massage that can not only rebalance your hormone levels, but that can also have an actual therapeutic effect on all parts of your body. 
call us on phone number to book your happy ending massage in NYC or find out more about the services we offer. Come visit us and we promise you'll never regret it. Wondering what else is in? Read on or ask us directly by calling blah, blah, blah. Okay. Okay. I don't know. I guess what makes me skeptical is all the talk of the beautiful masseuses. I don't know why that makes me so sus. Okay, this other place I think sounds a little more legit. Uh, I'll read you what it says on their website. Bodywork with a sensual touch for women in New York. Close your eyes, turn off your mind, and open yourself up to full body bliss. Enter a realm where your daily stress is relieved and your feminine energy released. Unlock your body's full potential at blank for therapeutic touch where you need it the most. I don't know. Also, both of them mention a lot of body work. Does that mean they're not actually touching your genitalia and only touching other parts and you're supposed to have an orgasm from this? I have no idea. I'm so fascinated. I want to learn so much more about this. Um, I will say, as I was doing research on this, my boyfriend, Ozzy, was in the room. And he goes, I think you might have to get one for research purposes. Now, I think he was joking, but maybe I'll do it. Who knows? <laughs> Either way, though, my new friend at the party said that, you know, it's this way to take charge of her sexuality and go on this sexual awakening journey and it was really empowering so I thought it was really interesting again I'm going to ask her a lot more questions who knows maybe I'll try to get someone from one of these places to come on the podcast Ooh, wouldn't that be interesting okay that's going to be my next move on this topic so yeah I just wanted to share if you live in New York you can DM me and I'll tell you the places I just I'm scared that if I call them out on the podcast I don't know something I don't know I don't know the feds are gonna come after me for uh, promoting prostitution I have no idea I just I don't want to get in any trouble so okay so last week on the podcast I mentioned something about shadow work and I didn't really dive deeper into that term at all. And it's one of those terms that you hear a lot in both wellness and spiritual communities, but I think a lot of people don't actually fully understand the psychological underpinnings. I know when I first started dabbling in this world, I would hear the term all the time, and I kind of came across different explanations of it, but I didn't fully grasp it until I did this workshop that explained it better. And since then, I've done a lot of research into it. Um, so, I mean, if you are very familiar with shadow work, I think some of this will be repetitive, but I would still listen because it's a good reminder. And also, I kind of will talk about my own experiences with it. If you, like me, a few years ago, are just seeing or hearing the term a lot, and you're like, I don't even fully understand what people mean by this, this is the episode for you. I do want to mention also that I think we touch on this in episodes 9 and 40, but I'm going to break it down a lot deeper and more completely today. So shadow is a psychological term for things that we cannot see in ourselves. I believe that the whole concept comes from Carl Jung. I think he's the first psychologist to really do work around this, but I could be wrong. So 
basically we go to great lengths to protect our self-image from anything that could be unflattering or unfamiliar. Before I dive way deeper into what shadow is, you know, exploring your shadow can lead to so much more authenticity and creativity, energy, and personal awakening. Um, It's a very introspective process. And, you know, I think it's essential for being a mature adult. That being said, very few people actually do it. So we traditionally think of shadow the shadow self is like the darker things within us, the things that we're ashamed of and deem are deemed unfit by society. So anything that's incompatible with our chosen conscious attitude about ourselves goes into that quote unquote dark side. So it's often kind of negative emotions or negative traits Um, like quote-unquote negative, you know, it's negative, but things like rage, envy, greed, selfishness, like a desire for power, we tend to quote-unquote put in our shadow. I'll give an example that's kind of a dumb example. It's really not that deep, but the reason I want to give this example is because it's actually not that emotionally charged. So I think it's a good way to kind of grasp the concept because it doesn't have a lot of emotional charge to it. So by nature, I'm not an early riser. Like as a kid, I went to bed very late and I liked to sleep in quite a bit. And as I got older, I read a lot about how early risers tend to be more successful. And, you know, I want to be successful. Like I want to be one of those perfect girls on Instagram who like effortlessly wakes up and you know, like meditates for four hours and goes to soul cycle and, you know, does her bullet journaling and then does like fucking like Kundalini breath work or like Wim Hof breath work and then like dry brushes her body and has like a 14 step skincare routine and makes matcha and like, you know, <laughs> fucking like does all this perfect shit with like a little vase in the corner with some baby's breath in it. You know, like I want to be one of those fucking girls. So I started to associate like to be able to do all those things, to be successful, to be that kind of like perfect Instagram chick, you have to be an early riser. And, you know, I start to associate sleeping in late with being lazy and being unambitious and you know my mind associated laziness and lack of ambition as a bad thing so I started to train myself to be an earlier riser but I was also putting late riser in my shadow so my self-image needed to be that of someone who wakes up early and so I viewed sleeping in late as a negative thing so I put it in my shadow So that kind of brings me to how a shadow comes about, like how this process comes about. And it comes as we're growing up. Usually it happens heavier in our earlier years, but it can continue to happen as you grow. Each of us is born as a wholly integrated being with, you know, kindness and love and generosity and all these wonderful, beautiful traits But we're also born with a full range of emotions and traits, including anger, selfishness, and greed, you know. So the traits that are associated with quote-unquote being good are accepted, and the ones that are associated with, you know, being bad are rejected. So 
As we grow up, when we express certain parts of ourselves, we receive negative cues from our environment. For example, maybe as a little kid, you know, you got angry, maybe you threw a little bit of a temper tantrum, and maybe your parents sent you to your room. Or, you know, maybe you were in Sunday school and you were a little bit too loud or playful and, you know, the Sunday school teacher may have like shamed you for your lack of decorum. Now, human beings are social animals. To survive historically, we had to belong in a tribe. Because of that, we have these needs that are evolutionarily imprinted in us. These needs include psychological needs like safety, security, and need for belonging. Because if you didn't belong in the tribe, you would die. So it's just an evolutionary part of us to need to be accepted in society. So as a kid, when we're shamed for something, it threatens our need for safety and security and belonging. Disapproval from our parents or teachers or peers even threatens that sense of safety and security and belonging. So when those needs are threatened, we adjust our behavior to adapt to the external world. We sweep all of the unaccepted or discouraged parts of ourselves out of our conscious view. Okay, so back to the example of being an early riser. Again, it's really not that deep, but the people around me, the books that I read, the content that I consumed, all drilled in this idea that being a morning person is a desirable trait and that sleeping in late is undesirable. So I start suppressing the part of myself that wanted to sleep in late because, you know, I wanted to fit in to what I thought society wants. I need to be part of the tribe. And so I start putting that, you know, late sleeper part of myself out of sight. I kind of disown that part of myself. So basically, that's how a shadow comes about. But here's the actual problem with shadow. The parts of ourselves that we disown, the parts of ourselves that we quote unquote put in our shadow, they turn against us. You know, they don't just quietly sit there. These parts of ourselves so desperately want to be acknowledged and simultaneously our conscious minds so desperately want to keep them hidden. So it's kind of like, it's kind of like having a zombie, (laughs) (laughs) that you have locked into the basement. (laughs) Now, you think it's out of sight. You know, you think you're starving it. You're not paying it any attention, so maybe it'll die. But the thing is, zombies don't starve to death. That's just not what happens. They're already dead. So keeping it away won't keep it quiet. The zombie will walk up the basement stairs and it'll bang on the door and it'll rattle and it'll make noise and it'll be annoying as fuck. Similarly, our shadow self won't just stay quietly tucked away. It'll rattle, it'll be annoying, and it'll wreak havoc on our lives all while remaining out of our conscious sight. And this often comes out in our interactions with other people. You know, there's this quote by Carl Jung. Uh, it's something to the effect of whatever qualities we deny in ourselves, we see in, e- we see in others. 
And the thing is, we don't just see them in others. It irritates us in others. It triggers us. It creates an emotional response. For example, if it really triggers you when someone is late, you might have lateness in your own shadow. And that doesn't mean that the other person wasn't late or that you don't have the right to, you know, be a little annoyed or disappointed or whatever if someone is late. But if it wasn't in your shadow, you probably wouldn't have a deep visceral reaction to it. And this process doesn't happen consciously. It's very, very subconscious. On the conscious level, we really convince ourselves that our reactions are totally normal to what's happening, right? I mean, you have every right to be upset if someone is running late. Like, it's a little disrespectful of your time. It can be annoying. It can throw your plans off, yada, yada. But you really have to look at the level of the reaction. And again, if it's really bothering you, I'm willing to bet that there's some shadow there. So back to my early riser example, once I had disowned being a late sleeper and put that in my shadow, I would be really bothered when other people slept in late. This one time, it was back when I was living in D.C. and I was actually coming up to New York for the weekend or for a few days or something. And one of my good friends was supposed to watch my dog. And I had a train at 1 p.m. My friend was supposed to come to my place at 11 a.m. or by 11 a.m. to grab my dog so I could leave by 12 for the train. So the day rolls around. My friend isn't showing up. I keep texting. No response. I keep calling. No response. You know, by 11.45, I'm spiraling. I was pretty angry. I was pretty stressed that I was going to miss my train. I'm just overall annoyed. I end up calling my neighbor. I left my dog with my neighbor and gave my neighbor the friend's information. I said, listen, like, I'm sure he'll come. I don't know what the issue is, but I'm sure he'll come. He's a very reliable person. And so I go, I get on my train I leave. My dog is with the neighbor. At 2 p.m., my friend calls me and says, like, I'm so sorry. I overslept. I'm on my way to your building now. And I was like, cool, cool. Uh, Sam, my dog is, you know, in this apartment. And listen, everything ended up being fine. My dog was fine. I made the train. I made it to New York. I had a great time, whatever. But here's what was interesting. I was so annoyed with my friend and specifically something about the fact that he slept in until 2 p.m. Like I was kind of just disgusted by that. And now I had every right to be annoyed, right? Like he said he was going to come over at 11. He didn't. He wasn't answering his phone. Like we can all agree that this is rude. It's annoying. Like all of us would probably be bothered. But the severity of my reaction was not in proportion to what actually happened. Specifically, the way that I was so disgusted by him sleeping in late. Like, if, for example, he was stuck in a work meeting, I would not have been annoyed, like, at all, right? Um, Or, like, even if he had forgotten, literally, if he had forgotten and his phone, like, had died or was on silent so he didn't hear my calls, yeah, I would have been a little annoyed, but I wouldn't have been disgusted. And the thing is, if I hadn't disowned my own propensity for sleeping in, I wouldn't have been so triggered by someone else sleeping in. I wouldn't have been disgusted. Again, I'm sure I would have been a little bit upset about the situation, 
but I would have gotten over it. Like it wouldn't have been as severe. We all have shadows. And as we work through some of them, we keep digging deeper and finding deeper layers of shadows. But that being said, I just want to throw out some signs to look for. And again, we all have these, but this just might be good cues that you should do some shadow work. If you find yourself judging other people, if someone accuses you of something or says something to you and you're hyper defensive, uh, if your reactions are a little bit disproportionate to what actually happened, if you just find yourself really triggered by things, you know, if certain patterns keep showing up in your life, you know, these triggers and these patterns and like the emotions that we feel aren't there to hurt you. They're there to show you where you need to do the work and where you need to do healing. Like it's kind of like the zombie, (laughs) back to the zombie, I don't know how well this analogy holds, it's just what popped in my head. I really enjoy picturing just this like a little pet zombie like stomping around in the basement, running up and down the stairs, raging out at the door. But yeah, it's kind of like the zombie's way of reminding you that it's there because it wants to be freed from this like disease that's taken over. Um, but yeah, before we move on onto like how to work through these things, I do want to address one other thing. We tend to think of shadow as negative traits, but really the shadow is the disowned self and it represents the parts of us that we no longer claim to be our own. And that can include positive qualities. Now, this is a little bit more complex, so I'm not going to dive deep into this this episode. Maybe it's something to address in another episode, but I did want to highlight that that can happen. Okay. Before I go through how I personally do shadow work, I just want to give this disclaimer. Shadow work is very challenging. It brings up everything that you've hidden from yourself as a means to protect yourself. So if you're not used to doing like deep, deep internal work, I highly recommend that you work with a professional instead of just endeavoring on your own. Um, There are two people that I would highly recommend for this work because I know they're really well-versed in it. And also, they both kind of purposely keep their rates very affordable because they want to be able to reach the widest range of people, which is something I really respect. So the first person is Caitlin Bebb. I've talked about her a lot. Um, She just has a wealth of information about shadow work. She's done so much shadow work herself. She's worked with so many clients on shadow work excellent person to take you through this. This is someone who, when I'm struggling on my own, I reach out to for this work. And the other is um, my somatic therapist in New York. She also does virtual sessions. Um, Andrea Lee, I'll put both of them in the show notes. Regardless of whether you work with someone or not, this is a time to do deep self-care. Make sure that you, you know, eat healthy, you rest sufficiently, you do like constructive things that make you feel better. I say constructive because this isn't the time to overindulge in numbing techniques. Like you need to be really clear and present to do this work. But yeah, just really treat yourself well if you're going to be doing this work. So <laughs> back to our little pet zombie in the basement. 
We know that keeping the zombie locked in the basement is not constructive. You can't starve the zombie to death. The only way to kill a zombie is to, you know, like shoot it in the head or stab it with valerian steel. Shadow work is your valerian steel. There are a lot of ways to do shadow work and there's a lot of shadow workshops out there. I'm just going to share what has been most effective, like the easiest, most accessible and has actually had results for me. And it's a step-by-step process. So there's five steps to it. Now, the way that has worked for me is to really watch for your triggers. So everything that irritates us about other people is a major clue as to what we are repressing in ourselves. So maybe keep a journal on you or start like a note on your phone or something. And every time you're irritated by someone, write it down. So the first step is write down who you're irritated with and why. And this actually doesn't have to be someone that you know in real life. I've had some really profound results doing shadow work through TV, particularly reality TV for some reason. Maybe it's because we see so much bad behavior on reality TV. And I really think if you're highly triggered by someone that you're watching on TV, like you don't even fucking know that person. If you're really triggered by them, there's probably some shadow there. One of my favorite reality shows used to be Vanderpump Rules on Bravo. I say used to be because I actually don't think it's that good anymore, but I'm still watching it because, you know, I'm a Taurus. I'm so like loyal and committed. I don't know. It's still okay. That's really not relevant. So there is a character on that show, Sheena, who used to bother me so much, like so much. And so as I'm watching the show, I'm like, okay, there must be some traits that Sheena exhibits that I'm in denial of about myself because why else would I be having such a strong, like, she just annoyed me to no end. So step two, once you identify the person or the situation, you want to answer these questions. What did this person say or do that evoked an emotion out of me? And it doesn't really matter what the emotion is. Like I say annoy and disgust a lot just because that tends to be the emotions that I feel a lot. But it could be any sort of emotional reaction. And frankly, the emotional reaction that you're having isn't that important. It's just the fact that you're having a strong emotional reaction to something. So yeah, what did this person say or do that evoked an emotion out of me? Why did this behavior bother me? What associations do I have with this behavior? What traits do I see in this person? Why don't I like these traits? Honestly, the first few times that you do this, you'll probably have a really difficult time answering these questions. But just try, and as you keep doing it, you will get better at answering these questions. So back to Sheena, it took me a long time to pinpoint what bothered me. It started with, she's so cringy, which... (laughs) is pretty vague and not that helpful for shadow work. Cringe is a pretty subjective term, so you really want to dig into what's beneath that. So I'd ask myself, why do I think she's cringy? And I always came up with things about like, oh, I think it's cringy how she's always performing and kind of like saying odd, quirky things. 
anyway, I don't want to keep talking shit about someone I don't even know. But over the course of months of watching her, I would repeat this over and over and over again. And I, I deduced that I hate how she, how attention needy she was, how she would, she seemed to depend on a lot of external validation. Uh, she would modify her behavior to acquiesce the people around her. So basically out of step two, I got attention needy, dependent on external validation, and people-pleasing or infirm in herself as traits. So step three, once you've identified a few traits or one, you want to ask yourself for each of the traits, what do I see wrong with this trait? Why is it problematic? Who told me that it was problematic? When did I first receive this message? Again, you'll probably have a really hard time answering these questions. One thing that I'd recommend is answering these questions when you're in a bit of a meditative state. So if you have a meditation practice or you're not opposed to meditating, that's a great time to try to dive into these questions. If you're not, if you're one of those people who you know says they can't meditate, that's totally, totally fine. Do it when you're doing something that's kind of routine where you're a little bit zoned out. Something like where you're walking or driving a route that you drive all the time, obviously very carefully. Maybe you're cleaning the house or you're in the shower. These activities are so routine that our brains go into alpha brain waves. And when you're in that state, answers can come to you a lot more easily. Going back to <laughs> poor Sheena, who I just want to say, Sheena's a very sweet girl. She has a huge heart. She really cares about her friends. She's very pretty. I just want to highlight some good things about her because I feel horrible that it seems like I'm just dragging her on this podcast. And that's so not my intention. I just think it really shows this exercise really well. So basically, I ask those questions about these traits. Now, Really, for all of the traits that I listed, the attention needy, the dependent on external validation, the people-pleasing, all of these traits, to me, indicate insecurity. And, you know, teachers, TV shows, movies, pretty much everything I've consumed throughout my entire life have labeled insecurity as, like, weakness and a bad trait. Also, I'll just focus on attention needy. There were times in elementary school where I was, you know, acting out in class or being really loud or, you know, just like making dumb jokes in class, just being, you know, a little bit annoying in class. And teachers would really shame me for that. You know, like I'd hijack show and tell, for example, in kindergarten. And, you know, I was told that I'm taking up too much space and I'm being too loud and I'm not giving other kids a chance to be seen and heard. And so, you know, as a kid, that threatened my sense of belonging, that threatened my sense of security. I was like, oh, no, like if I keep acting like this, then people don't want to be around me. So now I'm going to just disown that part of myself. So step four, now that you know what the trait is and you know where the block comes from, from the last step, you want to deal with the block. Basically, you want to close your eyes, take a few grounding breaths 
and then pull up the scenario where you first learned that this trade is bad and then see if you can rewrite this scenario with a different outcome that makes you feel a little bit better. So for me, I pull up kindergarten, show and tell, where I'm just hijacking show and tell and just trying to talk endlessly and show off all my shit or whatever the fuck. And, you know, the teacher says something about how I'm being annoying and taking up too much space and show and tell and other kids need a chance. And this time, you know, in my mind, instead of the teacher reprimanding me in front of the entire class, I have her pull me aside after class and say something really sweet about, you know, how my show and tell is so entertaining and everyone loves to see it. And even though everyone really enjoys it, I maybe don't need so much practice and show and tell as another kid does. So I should leave more space for the kids who are a little bit more shy to come out of their shell and encourage them, you know, just something nice where it doesn't shame me. So basically, you want to come up with an alternate scenario that doesn't threaten your sense of belonging. And this might sound a little bit crazy, but when you visualize something, your brain starts building new neural pathways as though that actually happened. When you do this repeatedly, it starts to take away the emotional charge of the original experience. And your brain will start to realize that embodying this trait will not threaten your sense of belonging or any other of your basic human needs. Now that you've identified the trait and addressed the block, there's this last step, step five. It's really cheesy, but I do think it helps integrate in a deeper way. So again, close your eyes, and this time you want to visualize this trait as a physical object or a creature or a person. Like give it a face, give it a shape, like really feel into what it looks like to you. You know, like what color is it? How big is it? And you want to engage with it. Ask it what it wants. Talk to it. See if you can like hold its hand or give it a hug. Look, I know this is really fucking cheesy, but it really works. So just roll with it and see if you can try it. And like every other step, you probably won't master it right away, but just see if you can try it for a few minutes every day. So yeah, that's my five-step procedure for how I personally do shadow work, you know, through all of the different modalities that I've tried and research that I've done. This is the process that works for me. I've absorbed parts from different teachers and things that I've read and work that I've done. And yeah, this is my five-step method. It might not be the best thing for you. Um, Again, I do recommend working with someone, but if you don't want to do that, Lacey Phillips has a really good shadow workshop that has these guided meditations that kind of take you into a hypnotic state. So that might be helpful for working through this. So yeah, like I said, this process is really difficult. Owning your flaws, your weaknesses, your insecurities, and everything else that you've deemed so problematic that you don't want to face it is really hard, but there are intense rewards. First and foremost, and possibly most notably, your relationships will improve tremendously. Integrating your shadow side makes you see yourself more clearly. You become more grounded and more whole. 
And when you accept your own dark parts, you'll automatically have an easier time accepting other people's dark parts. When you accept other people's behavior, you won't be as triggered by other people and you'll have an easier time communicating. The first thing really you notice when you do shadow work is an improvement in your relationships. Frankly, I wouldn't be in the romantic relationship that I am right now if not for shadow work. For one thing, Ozzy does sleep in. Not once has it bothered me. In fact, the first time he slept over when we were dating last year, we ended up lounging in bed until 2 p.m. the next day. Like we were listening to music. We were just talking about life, our interests, our insecurities, like what we wanted in life. Uh, you know, the things that were holding us back, our childhoods, our upbringings, our goals, our dreams, like you name it, we talked about it all. It was just one of those magical mornings where you really feel yourself connecting with someone. And if not for shadow work, I would have never had that experience. Like I would have been disgusted. I would not have stayed in bed. I would have judged him for staying in bed. And, you know, now that we're full on dating, he sleeps in past me and it just doesn't bother me. And again, this is a really dumb example going off that stupid sleep thing. But honestly, every single day, there are countless times where I think, thank God I've done so much shadow work because I see how easily things flow between us. And it's because of that. Another benefit of shadow work is you can manifest what you want. You know, the biggest block in manifestation is shadow. Shadow might prevent you from seeing what you actually want. And it also might prevent you from subconsciously feeling worthy of what you want. And as you integrate your shadow self, you approach your authentic self, which gives you more realistic assessment of who you are. When you're self-aware, you can assess your environment more accurately. You're more in tune with what you actually want, and you erase a lot of the fears and blocks that prevent you from getting there. So, you know, a personal example for me is, uh, you know, going back to that attention needy thing. You know, as a kid, I really liked to be seen. I wanted to be the center of attention. I wanted to be the leader in our class plays. As I talked about, I was, you know, hijacking show and tell to, I shouldn't say hijack so much. I'm Middle Eastern. Katiana say is going to be all over this podcast now. Um, I, you know, I was dominating show and tell. I wanted to be the center of attention. And like I already talked about, I was shamed by teachers and, Because of that, this aspect of myself was so deep in my shadow. Like it really took years of shadow work for me to see this and accept it. And I still haven't fully accepted it at all. Like I have so much more work to do in this area. But as I've started to integrate this aspect, I was able to do things like start this podcast. Without shadow work, this podcast would not be possible. And honestly, as I continue to do shadow work, the podcast improves. Like doing the solo episodes was really challenging for me. I didn't have a second person to hide behind. I have to fully show up and own who I am. And I will say the past two episodes that I did alone are two of the most downloaded episodes of the podcast. So, you know, embracing this part of myself has actually had major payoffs. Okay, another benefit of shadow work 
you become more empathetic. So when you accept all the parts of yourself, including the negative traits, you become more compassionate with yourself and that leads to greater empathy with other people. You start to see that negative things that other people do are not because they're like evil or bad people, but it's because of the set of circumstances that they went through. And really, I think this is an area where we can change the world. If everyone were to do shadow work, every single person, our world would be completely different. And that's a really lofty goal. But even if a small percentage of the world did shadow work, I think we'd see far greater emphasis on true healing. Imagine a world where instead of penalizing wrongdoing, we study why that behavior happened in the first place and healed around it. And I will say personally, I've been able to forgive so many people who I feel like wronged me throughout my life because of shadow work. Another benefit is you feel better emotionally. You know, dragging around this invisible bag of stuff is really draining. It's exhausting to continually repress and suppress parts of ourselves. It's, you know, that zombie constantly rattling at the door. It makes you irritable. You get upset. You get angry. Or, you know, in my case, you feel disgusted. And I'm not saying that once you do shadow work, you're just happy 24-7. That's not real, nor is it attainable. But you will feel a greater sense of ease and peace. And when bad things happen, yes, it will affect you, but it will also roll off you. It'll be like waves passing by. You don't get swept away with it. And along with that, you feel better physically. You know, constantly repressing parts of yourself is not just emotionally draining, but it's actually physically draining. You exert energy doing this. And when you're no longer repressing parts of yourself, you free up that energy for other things. You'll become more present in your life. And honestly, mentally suppressing things can literally cause disease. There are studies that show people healing crazy physical ailments just by accepting parts of themselves. If you're interested in this concept, um, I would really recommend looking at Dr. Joe Dispenza and Dr. John Sarno. They have some very interesting work on this. So while I was doing research for this episode, literally as I'm, you know, writing down, jotting down notes on shadow work, you know, really coming up, like really putting my own process in a step-by-step format that helps you guys. I'm literally on the computer and doing this. One of my friends texted me and she said that she really misses hearing updates on what's going on in my life and my relationship. And that's, you know, one of the most important parts of this podcast, but that I haven't been sharing it. And I realized the reason I haven't been sharing isn't because I don't want to, isn't because I want to keep it private. I mean, I talked about putting garlic in my vagina on this podcast, like nothing's private anymore, but it's actually something else. First off, it feels a little bit like I'm bragging, like I'm actually in a really healthy, stable, easy relationship. So it just feels like bragging to talk about it. And number two, and this is the bigger thing, it feels really self-indulgent. I get pangs of like, who cares? Who really cares about what's going on in my life? And I realized how ironic it is that I'm currently in the moment working on an episode about shadow work. And meanwhile, I'm so shadowy about this. And I think it really goes back to stuff that we've already talked about. So basically, I texted the coach that I mentioned before, Caitlin Bebb. And 
we worked through this together and you know she took me through some of her modalities and this is the list of terms that we came up with selfish slash self-involved egotistical conceited and show off and I just want to say you know this wasn't a situation where I was triggered by an external person or an external circumstance I just know enough about shadow work now to recognize that this reaction is related to shadow so yeah selfish self-involved egotistical conceited show off and honestly I think these words are pretty connected to the attention needy stuff that we've already talked about and it really illustrates how much of a process this is like you don't just do it once and you're done it's like a game of whack-a-mole you know you whack one down and then five more pop up (laughs) then you whack those down it just keeps popping up But, you know, it's a gradual process, and as you work through the more surface layers, you just keep getting deeper and deeper. And that might sound daunting and exhausting and like, okay, why the fuck should I even start? But it does get easier over time. It won't be as grueling, and it won't be as taxing, and you just get to know yourself better, and you'll have less resistance to it. So it really does come easier, and you start reaping the rewards of shadow work you know, your body feels better, you feel better, all this shit I already talked about, your relationships are better. So yeah, I'm now taking these new traits through steps three to five that I laid out before and stay tuned on the results of that. But I will do a quick personal update because, you know, it was brought to my attention and I do want to work through this. So sometimes just facing it head on can help. Um, I am still dating Ozzy. Things are going really well. Um, You know, the past few months have been really hard for me in a number of ways. Like, I've had a lot of health issues since last summer that I haven't really talked about. Maybe I will at some point. I mean, it's nothing major, but it's just kind of been one thing after the other. Um, There's been some health issues in the people close to me. Um, And then career stuff is always taxing for me. Like I basically oscillate between feeling so much shame and unworthiness around career and then having like really big things come through and being like busier than I ever have been. But through all of that, being with Ozzy has helped me like really grounded and secure and supported. And I remember when I was dating Van Guy, I said something about how being in a relationship is kind of overrated and you know, it's it's not going to like solve all your problems and just magically make you happy all the time. And, you know, some of that is true. It's really not going to solve all your problems. Like it's not going to make everything better. In the beginning, maybe, you know, like in the beginning, you have so much dopamine rushing through you. You don't really care about anything else. But then once you're settled in the relationship, it's not going to make everything go away magically. But being with the right person can be just amazing. Like that sense of security that sense of partnership like someone just going through it with you being there is really great so I don't know knock on wood this is the longest I've dated someone without constantly questioning if I'm actually into them or if I want to actually be through in this and it's really like the the healthiest relationship I've had we don't really fight much and when we do it's very I mean, we don't really fight. I sometimes fight, and he's like not an active participant in the fight. (laughs) But, you know, when there is an issue, we're able to talk it through and adjust and, you know, come out on the other side in a very mature way for the most part. I mean, again, I'm not always mature, but I'm way more mature than I ever have been. 
And to be completely honest, I think it's because of this podcast. Like I attribute the success of my relationship to this podcast. The podcast started with me being like, I'm batshit crazy in dating, but I want to be better. So let's all work on this together and become better. And through all these episodes talking about, you know, attachment styles and codependency and picking fights and all this shit, I really have grown and I see it in this relationship. So I guess I want to say thank you. Like, thank you. It's because of you guys that I'm in a pretty good relationship right now. So yeah, really thanks for listening, guys. Um, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I know it's dense. I know it might be a little bit overwhelming, but I'm telling you, just dabble your feet in shadow work. The payoffs are worth it. Um, If you have any questions, hit me up. I'll put Caitlin in the show notes. And if you took anything from this episode at all today, I would really appreciate it if you could send this to a friend, send it to someone you know who would benefit from it, put it in your Instagram stories and share it with the people closest to you so they can benefit from it. If you do put it in your Instagram stories, please tag at BlushPod so that I see. Also, I just want to throw out there, there is a voicemail system. The the link in the show notes, there's a link there where you can leave a voicemail. So if you want to hear yourself on this podcast, I would love to have another voice, not just mine. So yeah, leave a voicemail and I'll play it on the podcast. Love you guys. Have a good week. (laughs) 